0: Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood.
1: So today I'm delighted to welcome to the show Ray Boyd. So Ray's an Australian representative, went to the World Cross Country Championships, the World Athletics Championships, and uh, has some pretty serious runs to his name as well. So welcome to the show, Ray.
2: Oh, thank you very much, David.
1: That's all right. Great to have you on. Now, one of the things that I like to ask of people when they come on the show is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, Initially, I actually wanted
2: to be an architectural draftsman like my old man. He sat me down one day and said, mate, you can be whatever you want to be. You don't have to do what I did. So I moved into teaching.
1: Yeah, okay. And so that was something you decided to do from from a fairly young age? I did initially a phys ed
2: teacher, a specialist at primary school level, and I then moved out of the sporting field back
1: into the classroom. Yeah, okay. And so you're, uh, and now I understand you're a principal as well.
2: Yeah, I've slowly moved through the ranks. So I started teaching back in 1988, took on my first principal's gig in 2004, and basically never looked back.
1: Do you like the, the administrative leadership role of, um, of being the principal, or do you prefer being in the classroom?
2: I love being in the classroom. The compliancy stuff does my head in. And at all costs, I will try and stay out of this office during the day. So the teachers know that I'm. if I'm grumpy, it means I have to get stuck in my office. But yeah, no, look, it's a good gig. It's one of those jobs that I can. I don't have to sit in here. I can get into the rooms. I can go and get a, kick a football with the kids. I talk to the teachers. So at the end of the day, there's worse jobs. And yeah, sure, there's better jobs. But I love what I'm doing. So I'm pretty stoked
1: yeah fantastic it's funny i was talking to a, a high school teacher yesterday and um funnily enough we were talking about compliance and uh, he was saying that uh yeah, there is so much compliance in teaching and he he said his principal described at one stage as um what was it we spend so much time weighing the baby and not enough we don't have enough time to actually feed the baby these days yeah it's absolutely spot on i mean i spend
2: most of my time trying to get around policy Right. If I can work, I'll work around it. So it's not not that I understand the policy, it's that I know enough about it to be able to get around it and not get into
1: trouble. <laughs> Which is always nice. It's nice to know how far those grey areas extend and uh, how far the boundaries can be pushed, isn't it? Yeah, boundaries are like a rubber band. We've just got to stretch them to their, their limit without snapping them. And it's always easier to uh, beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to go back to um, your earlier uh, athletic career because, you know, from what I've read and from what I've seen, you had some fantastic performances. Qualified for the Olympics in '96 and 2000, but unfortunately at the time there was you know, a couple of runners by the name of Steve Monagetti and uh, and people like that, and you know, missed out on selection. But you know Chicago, what was that '95? I think it was. Uh, yes. Yeah. Chicago, yep. Yeah, and ran a, a 2.13.26. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the highlight of my
2: marathons in terms of fastest time I ran, but there was a fair bit of work to get to that. That was the goal. I leaped my way through Canberra. No, the Canberra Marathon won that, but the goal at Canberra was always to win it so that I could get the trip to Chicago, and Chicago was the place I was going to try and qualify. So. It turned out, it worked out really well for me. Amazing city marathon. I'm, I got an Olympic qualifier. And then essentially in 2000 at the Olympic trials, I basically ran myself out of the team.
1: Oh, no. That's
2: mm, just, you know, if you're going to have a bad run, don't have it on the day that you're supposed to be trying to qualify for something.
1: Oh, no. So what happened, it just... Uh... Hadn't had a good lead up or just went out too hard? No,
2: I had an absolutely outstanding lead. I was the fittest I'd ever been in my life. So I was, you know, cracked a jack, but just got a bit of uh, leg lift. came in early in the race and just didn't seem to get my head into it and potentially had mildly overtrained. Uh, we did some blood, my coach and I did some blood tests afterwards and going, you know what, you, I think you took yourself over the limit in terms of overtraining and just paid the consequence. But it's really hard in top race, in a big race, if you start that downward spiral in your head, it's really hard to get yourself out of it. And uh, Unfortunately, I didn't even need a time. I just had to be one of the first two Australians that had qualified over the line, and I was, it turned out that I was actually the third qualifier over the line. Rod de and went on to win the race, and Troopy got himself over the line and made his Olympic debut, and the rest's history, as they say.
1: Oh, wow. But if we go back to Chicago, I mean, from... What you said earlier before we started the actual interview, you know, there was a lot going on in the lead up to that race as well, wasn't there?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, truckloads going on. We, um, there's also the world uh, at that time. There's a fair bit going on with regards to guys breaking records and that. But back on the home front too, I was working full time. Fortunately, I had a sponsor working full time, squeezing everything in. We was almost starting it on the way to starting a new family. So there was a, a fair bit going on in regard to that. And then trying to get all the training in between working made things difficult. But we got there through Canberra, the niggling little injury, got myself through Canberra and then got the trip to Chicago and pulled out all stops and ran a cork of a race. But it's still the best race I've ever run in terms of atmosphere. It was just absolutely amazing. In a big city marathon, you come from something like Australia and head over to Chicago. And the Yanks are just crazy when they put stuff on. So it was a really good experience.
1: Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't run Chicago, but um, I've done New York and Boston, and as you say, the atmosphere in those cities is incredible. The way they just embrace it.
2: Yeah, well, the whole city stops the, 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 even after the event. Blew me away. Everyone's walking around with their medal medallions around their necks. They're in in coffee shops. It uh, just the whole city stops. It's fantastic. get out know, in well, in WA, if you put a road blockage up, half the world complains about it. You got to- um, a major
1: city in Chicago stops itself dead for this huge event. It's unbelievable. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, we see the same thing in Sydney as well. Um, yeah, the the Sydney Marathon, uh, which is on early, mid-October, and the Harbour Bridge is shut down for the morning. And, um, yeah, the it's just bedlam. Yeah. You know, you'd think the world was ending. I mean, it's a Sunday morning. Hardly anyone's out of bed that early anyway. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, not only does do people complain about it, no one actually goes out to support it. Yeah. And um, it's just a completely different attitude. You know, I was at the, um, I think it was about the thirty, thirty three, thirty five 33, 35 K mark last year uh, to support some friends and I was standing there on my own clapping. You know, the claps just echoing around the area. Whereas, you know, it was like with the big city marathons and they've got people four, six, ten deep on both sides of the road screaming at you. Just amazing, and each each little
2: suburb has its own big function and festivities as you run through. It's like it's just like moving from one party to the next. So, I got a few mates who've run Boston, so I've heard about Boston, and it's the same sort of thing. It's just an amazing atmosphere. But you're right, you come here, and even our road stoppage here, they're rolling stoppages because we had the the two thousand Olympic trial over the the course Sydney Harbour Bridge, and the bridge is only shut while we moved off, and after that, it it's, opens itself up again. I get, I get where people are coming from, but I you get, you know, one hour of your life, come on. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. First world issues. Oh, they certainly are, aren't they? And, you know, considering the uh, the environment that we're in where we should be encouraging more people to get out and exercise and we want to throw up the barriers and uh, yeah, and make life difficult.
2: Yeah, that's right. Everyone says, oh, we never get anything in this state or not. It's like, yeah, well, hang on a sec." Every time we have something come into the state that involves shutting down a footpath, it costs a million
1: dollars and half the
2: planet whinges about
1: it. <laughs> oh, dear. So after 2000, did you continue on as far as um, kind of elite sporting goes or was that um, you know, with the family coming along and work and things like that, is that uh, about the time that you stopped running?
2: Yeah, pretty close to it. My oldest boy, nine, he's 20 now, his mates like to say, oh, how do you feel ending your dad's career? <laughs> but I mean, mate, you actually had nothing to do with it. I, I gut, 2000 gutted me the fact that I didn't make the team. It's was, it was my second, second try. So, and it was like, you know what, I, I actually don't know if I can put this amount of energy into another four years to try and get over the line for Athens. So things just naturally started to die down in regards to, to my commitment to it. And at the same time, my uh, professional career started to take off. I, I was a classroom teacher up until 1999. I dabbled in as a deputy principal. I took the year 2000 off on long service and was a stay-at-home stay dad. And then I came back in 2001 and, and took on a deputy position full-time And I just transitioned my energy from running into my professional career. So it was a natural progression that way. And things just slowly petered out. I just stopped stopped doing it as much. I'd lost a little bit of the passion that I used to have for it. And I always believe if you haven't got passion or don't enjoy doing something, don't do it. It just becomes a grind, Uh, which is part of the reason I've got back into it now. I've I've realised how much running is a part of my life and I actually enjoy it. So I've got back into it. But... It was just a natural progression. You know, like you said, I've got a family coming on, but there were a few other factors in there. I had a, a niggling injury in the way of plantar fascia that wouldn't settle down. So one thing on top of the other, but you know what, let's just step back for a while and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it must be a hard thing too. You know, as you say, when you're at that level, at the, you know, the pointy end of the field, there's only so many opportunities. And to miss out like that, I can understand, you know, when you're facing another four years of um, of trying to keep your performances at that level and the the training and the dedication and the impact that that has on um, on everyone else as well, yeah, yeah, it just become too hard.
2: That's right. It takes you and I were speaking before we started this. It takes a toll on your partner as well. It's it's all right to say to your your wife, look, I'm going for a run and you disappear for three or four hours when you don't have uh, children on site when you've got kids and you go and disappearing for four hours and you both work like so far out you know this is a partnership there's two of us you get your four hour break i'm not so it makes it a bit hard
1: um
2: yeah
1: and it's not just the four hours either is it because you come back and then you bug it yeah that's right and you've got to recover and uh yeah before you're actually useful to anyone anyway Exactly. You, go away, you disappear for your, your run on a Sunday,
2: you come back, it's always nice to veg on the couch, but no, you've got it washing to do, there's lawns to mow and and so and then you got the factor you get thrown in that you might have a, a random drug test pop round, so they follow you around for three hours. It doesn't really make for a great family life.
1: No. Thankfully, I've never had to worry about that one because I'm not, I'm certainly not at that end of the field. But uh, yes, I can see how that would impact on things. You never know. <laughs> I tell you what, if I ran a performance like yours, I'd definitely have them knocking on the door. <laughs> so, and you're saying now that you're um, are you kind of rediscovering that passion. I mean, how um, did that take you a while to? to decide, you know, I actually want to start getting back into this? Was it hard to kind of reset your expectations around what was normal as far as running for you went?
2: Yeah, it was actually. You start to get... The trouble is when you stop competing, when you stop running or or participating in sport at any level, the way you eat tends not to change. (laughs) You do have a habit of putting on a bit of put. And I, was into, I had another mate, too. I was getting to the stage where it's like, you know what? It's starting to look like a beach ball with a head on it. And I'm 52. And seriously, you're going to be in the grave the way you're going. So there were there were a couple of things that were a bit of a catalyst for it. We went up. There's a big event down here in Western Australia called the Blackwood Marathon. And actually, I bumped into a mate of yours, Craig Beck, down there. And we were giving each other a bit of stick. And he said, mate, you need to run this. So no pressure yeah no pressure and me and a mate sort of had thought the same thing so as of January the 1st we got back into it but the the hard bit was your brain knows that in a previous life you you you're able to sustain 250 245k pace and you're plugging along at nine ten minute mile pace it's like oh okay and the the brain's trying to get you going the body's going when we can't do this what are you talking about (laughs) It just takes such a while to get back into that, get back into that level of running again. And our first run, and I kid you not, we made fifteen hundred meters, and both of us just about had heart attacks. And now I'm quite, I'm again quite comfortable, and it's really low level stuff. I'm comfortable at six uh, kilometers a day at the moment. I covered sixteen k the other day on a Sunday, so I'm pretty nowhere near at the pace that I used to cover. But I'm getting comfortable again. I'm pretty happy about it.
1: Um, so yeah, it was a
2: mindset shift, but it was also a a reality
1: check. Yeah, but that's it's interesting though the fact that um, I think one of the hardest barriers to overcome would be that that mindset shift.
2: Yeah, yeah. We set a few caveats on ourselves. One is it's all about time on your feet. So if we're out, if it takes us seven hours to cover ten k, fantastic. We're getting fitter anyway. And we've got a beautiful trail up in the hills. It's it's the old railway line. It's a heritage railway line. miles. so, and it's actually staged between roads. So it's all right. We're going to try and get to over the next seven weeks. We're going to try and get to Sexton Road. So it's three k out, three k back gives us six k, and then once we get to that, we'll try and include the next section. So it's a natural progression for us, and we just plot along. Um, we call our first mile the lubrication mile. And that's anywhere from 10 minute mile pace well, what are we looking at so that's six seven minute um, per K and then by the end of it we're around the five minute k pace so it's it's slowly work for us as the body's readjusted to what it's meant to do but there's no no goals other than let's just try and get fit and cover it as opposed to we have to do this because we've got a big race coming up
1: yeah which yeah certainly takes the pressure off doesn't it Oh yeah, it, it's a huge. It's a
2: completely different mindset, and both of us use it now to readjust for work settings. It's you know, there's, you'd know as a guy that works, and you need to do something to give your brain a, a break. And running is that opportunity to readjust and reset yourself.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really easy thing to do, isn't it? Because when you're running and when you're pushing your body, there's not a lot of space for uh, for too much else to float around in your head. Well, mine certainly. Yeah, no,
2: you're right. You're spot on. You're spot on.
1: And so when, what's the plan as far as the, the marathon goes? When's that on? Yeah, I should clarify because I think I can tell
2: by the way you just said that. You're thinking that's a marathon 42K. But it's, it's actually it's twelve a 12K run and then we take a canoeist who paddles and then the canoeist takes a swimmer. So it's more like a pentathlon team event. But it's at the end of October. And it's down south. It's a fantastic event. So we've only got to cover 12K. It's over a hilly course. But at the end of the day, once we've covered it, we can say we've done it and we're officially back in the game. And I want to try and beat Becky. So if I can do that, I might get a beer off him. So there's there's a bit of pride at the
1: end of this. Oh, I tell you what, to get a, to get a beer out of Craig too, that's got to be a good thing. Know, a bit got, of motivation.
2: He's got such deep pockets and his tiny little arm. <laughs>
1: Oh, dear, I'm never going to live down this one, I tell you. Thankfully, I'm in Sydney and he's in Perth, so, yeah, you know, it's a little while before I catch up with him.
0: <laughs> do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagine they'd be financially at this point in their life. Two, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. We have a nine-step process we take you through which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands, provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you, and finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show.
1: Yeah, in terms of getting back into things, I mean, what's been the biggest challenge for you? Has it been just the the conditioning, reconditioning the body and getting that back moving? Has it been... Um carving out the time and just the, the discipline of, uh, of going for a run regularly when you, you haven't been in the habit of doing that? Yeah, look, both
2: of those. I mean, the mindset's an easy one in reality because it's just, it comes down to, to your headspace and getting that sorted. The time's the big one, trying to manage it and get it and slot it in because, again, and, and you'd know as someone who does who does sport, you want to try and get a time where it's consistent so that you can actually establish some sort of routine. And there's days here at work where I'll go home of an afternoon and I've, I've worked here till six because somebody's come up or five or I've got to do pickups. And it just, it's trying to fit in that time because essentially once I get home, the last thing I'm going to do is want to go for a run. because now I'm in home mode. There's things that have to be done at home and it, it just makes it really difficult. So the mornings is a good one. I dropped the young fella off at rowing, uh, again, something we were talking about before. So he gets... He gets out of the car at five thirty, and okay, well, I've got there's an hour there that I can fit in. Not a big fan of mornings though, unfortunately. So I drive along, and if I'm doing the a late pickup in the afternoon, I'll try and get the run done before I do the the pickup. So it's it's actually edging out that time and fitting in in between your professional and home life, and getting getting that balance. I know work life balance is a bit of a, a myth, but finding that balance where you get that that personal time, that me time.
1: Yeah, I mean the. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's definition of that balance is going to be different, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got equal time for any of those things. But um, yeah, it's more about making sure that uh, you're doing the, the things that are important to you, the things that, uh, that you want to be able to do and not forgetting about it, not neglecting something. Exactly right. Exactly right, and I, I I love work. I actually do love work, but
2: at the same time, you need to do something that's different to 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 develop that wholeness about yourself. Be that reading a book or whatever. And in my case, it's running. So,
1: yeah. What's the biggest change you've noticed in yourself since you've um, since you've got back into it?
2: Uh, Sixteen kilos lighter. That's a good start. Oh wow! Uh, I'll bet your doctor's happy with you. Well, I haven't seen him yet, but I think he's going to be over the moon. But the problem- Again, eating habits, um, and I've cut back on a heap of alcohol because the last thing I'll, you want to do, you go for a run and you got a hangover, it's like, I said, this is only a good feel. So I've started to slip back into some of my old eating habits, which were considerably better than the habits I developed after I stopped running. I just feel better about myself. That's the best thing about it. Actually, as knackered as I am sometimes after the run, I actually still feel better for myself for it. So it's it's... In that regard, it's really good.
1: Yeah. Have the um, What's been the reaction at school with the kids? Because they're always, you know, they're never shy about uh, voicing opinions on anything, are they? No. Well, they tend not to know. I mean, a few of them said, oh, you're looking a bit thinly, Mr
2: Boyd, so that's what are you know, doing you But other than that, they, I'm just a face to them. The staff are a bit like my deputy. is has gone, don't lose any more weight. You're starting to look like anorexia. <laughs> I'm putting food in, but it's getting chewed
1: up. <laughs> Actually, that was uh, that's one of the comments I um, I remember reading. No, I heard in a documentary about um, running, and it was an old uh, UK guy. I think he'd been running marathons in the in the '60s and the '70s, and uh, he was interviewed on camera about someone who was training for this uh, this big race. And he's, they asked him, "Yeah, do you reckon he's looking all right?" And he said, "Well." He said, he's starting to look pretty sick, so he's got to be getting close.
2: Yeah, that is so true, David. It's, we used to take that as a compliment. If someone said, you look and sick, you got beauty, on fit.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but again, there's that fine line between fitness and actually being sick and unwell.
1: <laughs> oh, there is, isn't it? Especially at that level when you're um, pushing your body so hard. I mean, what would your pref- week have looked like when you were at that elite level? Seven days a week, twice a day. Yeah, wow. So, what, two hundred odd k's a week?
2: Yeah, probably around hovering around the two hundred, between one ninety, between one eighty and two twenty. So it just depended on where we were in regards to our program uh, and how much, whether we were doing a volume week or we're doing some uh, more of a speed work focus. But around there, yeah, definitely a lot more than what I'm currently doing. So. So I on about 100 mile, 120, 140 mile a week, 160 mile a week. So that was, that was pretty normal stock standard.
1: Yeah. Wow. And in there, there's obviously speed work and, uh, and tempo runs and all that sort of stuff as well. It's not just, uh, you know, just cruising along for that.
2: Yeah. Well, that, that's,
1: that's pretty much it. You know,
2: um, regular routine. Sunday was your long run. Sunday afternoon was recovering from the long run. Monday morning was recovering from the long run and the, The Sunday session and then uh, Monday afternoon we're back into it Tuesday so it's just clicking along you wake up in the morning train go to work finish work come home head off to your session get home eat and then you know
1: groundhog day repeat but now it's um yeah obviously now you're doing it for the love of it yeah as you say there's there's a race in October you got any desire to uh to kind of go back and explore any of the uh the big overseas marathons again
2: no, look, I like to, well, I not like to think it's a reality. I've never not finished a race, and those, over the, the marathon's full stop. There's a lot of work in there, and the marathon is a great equaliser because really everyone who's toes the line, and when I say everyone, I literally mean everyone, has actually got a chance to win that race. There's races guys have won because blokes drop out. I mean, I beat guys at the World Championships who i have got considerably faster personal best to me, but they DNF'd. And that's the nature of the marathon running. You only had a few things to go wrong, and it goes belly up real fast. So the amount of work and preparation for that, if I thought my body could cope with it in terms of it could handle the training, yeah, I'd probably tackle it. But at this stage, covering 6K and uh, best distance in the last two months of 16K, it's like, ooh, 42.5 one is a long way away from where I am at the moment so we, you have to wait and see yeah again it'd be a different mindset because I'm just going in this race to experience and get across the line
1: yeah exactly because it'd be a yeah it'd be a completely different experience to be able to yeah you know, well yeah you know, much as you enjoy a uh, a marathon but you know to experience it as part of the crowd and, yeah, and kind of take in the the crowd rather than um, you know, being so focused on the goal for the race of um, yeah, a certain time or uh, or position or anything like that. Yeah, and look, that's a that's a really interesting comment you make because even with
2: training, when I was – and I love running. I mean, I actually loved it. It didn't bother – and as a result of that, I became good at it. So the, the love of it progressed to becoming good at something because you obviously put more time into it but I'm doing runs now where I've, I've run in these places all my life and I'm actually looking around and going, you know what, this is a really nice place to run in. Whereas before it's like, get down there do the session. You don't even take notice of what's around you. So this next stage that I'm currently entering, I'm actually appreciating some of the beautiful places that I'm getting to run while I'm in Western Australia. And I've run there all my life and never really taken the time to look at it.
1: Yeah. It's funny like that, isn't it? I mean, I've, um, I've done the same thing around Sydney, and um, yeah, you know, even some of the races. I remember doing a ten k race that finished up in the Olympic Stadium out at Homebush, and uh, you finished with a lap of the track, and yeah, obviously it wasn't full or anything like that, but you, know, you finished with a lap of the track, and then uh, you were given a medal, and um, and I walked straight out. I didn't even stop to look around, <laughs> and thought about it later. I thought, oh, that was, that's a bit of a shame to let that one pass. Yeah. But uh, little things you, know,
2: you don't think about, it, don't even give it due consideration. Even when, again, I travelled a lot, I was really fortunate to travel a lot with my running and get to places. And essentially, I'd land in somewhere like Japan. I'd go to the hotel. I'd train within the distance of the hotel. And that was it. I go to places now, London, for example, and actually look around and, and become a tourist as opposed to, well, I'm actually here to run. I know what the hotel looks like. And I can tell you, where I've
1: run, and that's it. Yeah, but I mean, at that stage, it's more of a job really, isn't it, where you're you flying in looking for a specific result. And in that sense, it's actually, um, it really is just work and you're just all business.
2: Yeah, it is. It's, it's business and the business was running. I'm here to perform well. I'm here to do a job. And once that's done, I'm going. I'm not here to, to sightsee and spend hours walking around and looking at things. And many years ago, my wife, girlfriend back then but my wife she copped the Roth we went to I managed to get myself into the Sydney city to surf and the organisers had paid for me to fly over and they they were covering my accommodation and Leonie said come on we'll go and explore Sydney it's like I'm not here to explore Sydney I don't want to explore Sydney I've got a big race tomorrow And I go, no, no, come on come on all right happy wife happy life off we went And Sydney had this flash storm come down, We're on the other side of Sydney, the railway got jammed up. It was bumper to bumper, and I spent four and a half hours trying to walk back to the hotel. I was absolutely skewing. And for the whole race, I kid you not, it was like, she is so dead. My legs feel nothing from walking around yesterday. I'm miserable. I knew I shouldn't have gone out. (laughs) Oh, no. And I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how did you actually go in that race? I ended up seventh, but I, I wasn't a happy camper.
1: I was yeah a happy camper. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Sydney, Sydney when the rain comes down, is um, it just can't cope, with it? It can't. And, I mean, you guys have got a
2: good rail system. That's how you sort of get around. But that's that stop. That was gone. It's not going
1: anywhere. All right, we've going to go to taxi. Take-
2: not going to get a taxi.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, how much travel did you have to do? Because I mean, I know, um, yeah, obviously, at uh, at that elite level, there's there are lots of opportunities, or there are lots of races and competitions and things like that overseas. How much of that was, um, yeah, you know, was kind of just a regular part of life for you?
2: Yeah. Look, there was a fair bit. I was at some disadvantage in being a West Australian to some extent. I um, missed a few teams that I felt I should have been in, but being a West Australian, i travelled a lot over to the East. I had a spot, I had a really good sponsor back then, a guy by the name of Kerry Hughes had a passion for running and he was the CEO of skilled engineering at the time. So I was actually able to travel a fair bit within Australia. So that was almost regular for me. That was almost every weekend or every second weekend I was flying somewhere in the Eastern state over to the Eastern States, but there'd be at least a trip one to two trips a year, where we'd be traveling to the UK, the US or Japan for a big run up there. And then you've got your Australian teams in between that. So there was a fair whack of travel. My frequent flight points were through the roof. That's probably a better way of saying it.
1: Yeah, which is always good because you know, when you, um, then when you get a break and uh, you just don't want to use them, do you? You just want to stay and relax. I mean, and the thing too, David, with the Australian team, it was
2: never just fly out for the comp and fly back. There was always, well, the first world cross-country team that I made. We, we travelled for three months. We went to a, um, a training camp in Portugal. We did some races there. We ran the world cross-country in Lisbon. And then afterwards, we flew on to Italy and did the Cinque Molini. And then we came back through London, had a race there, and we were back to Perth. So we were out for three months for that trip. Uh, in 99 at the world athletics championship same thing again we went out and stayed over in Italy and did a training camp there for a few months before we actually moved into the to the village and competed in Athens so that's a big chunk and then for someone like myself who works full-time I've got to still got to meet the bills uh, in terms of our mortgage in that so there's there's a fair bit of pressure in that regard as well but we did a fair whack of traveling yes
1: I was going to say that that would be the really difficult part because obviously, you know, athletics in Australia is not highly paid. And, you know, when you're trying to, to study or, uh, or trying to build a, a profession or, you know, build a place in a profession, that would be, uh, be really hard to balance.
2: Yeah, look, and it was tough. Um, it certainly made it tough for Leonie and myself because running, and I always I say this when I've done a few presentations, running for me wasn't my whole life. It was part of my life. And fortunately for me, I became good at it. So, But I, was, I never looked at making a living out of running. My living was always going to come from my profession as a teacher. So trying to find that income and cover things. Now, the, the Department of Education was outstanding because there's a, a few avenues to leave with pay that we could get. But when you're travelling for three months, the department, and rightly so, they are not cover your wage for three months while you're off, you know, no. sipping pina coladas on the beach and, and trying so for guys the majority of people they don't have the luxury of being able to cover that and again I come back to my sponsor at the time they stepped up and said you know what we'll cover your mortgage while you're away now that's rare as duck's teeth wouldn't be too many guys young or old now that would have those opportunities in terms of still being able to meet those bills so I was very 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 fortunate in that regard and as you said earlier you know unless you're at the top echelon there's not a lot of money there in the sport Um, you know the top five or six guys might make a living out of it but then after that everyone's just trying to etch out an existence basically and a lot of the lot of the guys male and female simply do it because they love doing it
1: yeah and then you know at some point in time that's going to end and you've got to work out well where do we go from there
2: yeah, you know, I'm not going to be able to run all my life. And yeah, there's some people that do run all their life, but there's a point where if that's your main income coming in for your family or whatever it is, your competitive life's very short in, in, in reality. And again, there's even fewer people who continue that professional life within running and still earn an income from it. So you, you need a fallback in some regard. And I, I always worried, and fortunately I didn't have this concern, I always worried for those guys that, You know, if that's your main income, what happens when you can't do it? What if you get injured? Does that put extra pressure on you when you toe the line because I have to win today because this is my payday? If I don't, I'm not eating. And that was a pressure I never had to deal with because, again, running wasn't my income.
1: Yeah, certainly a lot more, um, you know, we spoke about balance and uh, certainly a lot more balanced way to approach it, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. And and there was a period of time there where I sort of had to crack at trying to be a you know, be all and end all for your running and that's all i did and it did my heading there's no way and maybe that's why i didn't make it to the top top level there's no way i could have made running 100 percent professional in terms of training in the morning coming home doing some sort of gym work sleeping eating whatever it is and then heading off to training again so there's got to be more than just that it's, it's killing me so in some regards, my professional life gave me a break from the running, and my running gave me a break from my professional life. So they, it was a it was a really good balance.
1: Yeah, I mean it's um it's certainly good to be able to break things up like that, isn't it? And just have you know completely different worlds that you can step into.
2: I think so. Yeah, I think so.
1: Now I'm conscious of your time. I mean, there's two things that I want to uh, ask you before I let you go. Yeah, we spoke about your um your PBs being two thirteen, and I'm. Yeah, I'm looking on with amazement as the uh, the marathon world record continues to drop, and we're now two hundred one thirty nine, I think it is something like that. Yeah. I mean, first question: How quickly do you think they can get under two hours? And what's your view on that? Look, how long is a piece of string is probably the
2: best answer for that that question, but. I think we're not too far away from it. I remember when I was growing up, there was a a documentary that D. Costello did, and he was the big guru back then and and the jet for Australian runners. And the the documentary was called Marathon One, and they jumped him onto a treadmill and they did all these tests. And when they stepped away from it, what they, they said was, and I'm paraphrasing this, was the human body isn't capable of running that distance under two hours. And we saw it with the night project that was so very close. So I don't think we're too far away from getting under the two hour mark. There will be some freak of nature out there who will do it. But there is a flip side to that. And I often wonder how much, and sadly, I wonder it, how much drugs have to play in some of the performances that we see at top level in regards to endurance sports. And the marathon is one of those. Uh, And we have seen some people without naming names that have been sprung and pinged recently over previous tests. So, yes, I think we can get under two hours. I think there will be someone who can do it. But I also think the race will have to be very much staged, a bit like they did with the marathon, uh, the night marathon project. Even that, I mean, I know what the world record is. In my headspace, the fastest marathon run is that two-hour marathon because he still had to cover the distance. He still had. Run and whether he had 15 blokes jumping in and out with him and helping him along, he was on the tarmac for two hours.
1: Yeah, and that was incredible. You know, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it when I watched it. Yeah, you know, it was that was amazing to see. And how good did he look?
2: That was just, that's the bit that blew me away. It's just metronome running, and he looked just fantastic. And that's what I mean about freaks. It's just you know, when, when you see someone who looks really good. They just blow everyone out of the water.
1: And the the incredible thing for me to think about is, you know, like you were up at that elite level, but when you look at the difference between your PB and where he ran, I mean, that's four Ks over a marathon.
2: I know. And look, my time at 2.13 is fairly solid. It's not elite, but not that next level of elite. When I look at guys like Mona, who's, who's 2.08, Lee Troop, 2.9, even that, that's that's four minutes. And they're moving. And then you look at someone who's running two hours and think, My God, he's eight minutes ahead of Steve Monoghetti, seven minutes fifty seconds ahead of Rob De Castella's best. That's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Scary, scary fast, isn't it? Oh,
2: look, my Chicago, that was the race they set the world record in. Khalid Kanuchi ran 2-5 and broke the world record there. I went through the half the halfway in 64, just over 64. And the Yanks were going. Oh, he's just a heavy man. He's only two. It's like two minutes. My God, he's gone through in sixty-two. Unbelievable. <laughs> I have no idea how far two minutes is? <laughs> and I, I stood on the line with him, and that was it. He was in sight for maybe a kilometre, and then I lost him. It's
1: it's just another level of running. Yeah, it's yeah, it's brilliant to watch, but it's scary to contemplate. <laughs>
0: It's,
2: and people used to say, and I'm not saying this to, to blow wind up my own legs. People used to say, oh, mate, I watch you disappear into the distance. That's exactly how I felt with this next group of guys in that next level. So I watched them disappear into the distance. So essentially everything's relative, isn't
1: it? It is. Yeah. Okay. Now the final thing I'm going to ask you before we go. Yeah. So um, I ask all of the guests on the, uh, on the show to come up with a challenge for listeners, something they can do over the next week. And I think um, you know, given the discussion we've had around you coming back to running after such a long break and having to, to kind of readjust your expectations and, um, and do that, I think something around that would be fantastic. So can you, uh, what can you think of that you can throw out there that people can do that will um, that'll have an impact on them over the next week or so?
2: Just get out. Set yourself a goal work out how you're going to do it and then get out there and actually do it and and people say you know I only ran a K today and my favorite response it's not mine I've I've seen it somewhere before is you know what you've done a K that's one more K than people who are currently sitting on the couch and if you run if you run a mile in 20 minutes or a mile in 4 minutes at the end of the day you've still run a mile so my challenge is if you're a, if you're a couch potato or you're someone who doesn't think they can do something, just get out and walk a lap of your block. It's a starting point. And, you know, every journey starts with a single step, and that might be the step to your journey that might make the difference to your whole life and the way you feel.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible. As you say, Yeah, in, what, two months since you started running again, 16 kilos, you've lost. Yeah, and just the difference that that's making for for you as well. And the body's an amazing
2: thing, David. If you give it the chance, it actually... It adapts very quickly. It's your brain, it's your mindset that's the hardest thing to change. Getting that, getting that internal tape, looking at uh, running in, in terms of a positive frame, like this is actually feeling easier as opposed to I don't want to do this. This is really hard. I can't do this. Once you flip that tape, anything's possible, because the body adapts very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, and all it does is it just takes the discipline to to keep showing up, doesn't it? And eventually the brain will turn around and it'll be uh, it'll be on your side again
2: that's right and we often said 28 days to form a habit so if you can do something for 28 days or be that cover walk 100 meters every day you've created a habit
1: Yep. no that's fantastic thank you mate now i have really really enjoyed this conversation so i want to thank you for for getting up early for everyone who's listening so uh It was six o'clock in the morning, Perth time, uh, when uh, Ray jumped on the call with me. So uh, really appreciate, even though you were up early to take your son to rowing, but uh, really appreciate your time. And the fact that you told me you're not a morning person, but you've certainly been awake and and an interesting guest over uh, over this last hour. So thank you very much.
2: Oh, thanks, Dave. Look, in all honesty, it's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully I'll be able to tell you in a a few months' time that uh, Becky actually used his short arms and got into his pockets and bought me a beer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'm actually over in Perth uh, in November, I think it is, for a conference. So I'll have to – and one of them's with Craig. So I'll organise to catch up with you and we'll go out for a run and we'll see if we can't get him to shout that too.
2: Brilliant. I'll be in that. Count
1: me in. (laughs) Now – Lastly, if uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, has any questions they'd like to ask you, see what you're up to, are you on Strava or anything like that that they can follow? What's the best way for people to get in contact? Yeah, I'm on
2: Strava, I'm on Garmin, I've got Nike, I only link those link those together, so Strava's an easy one, you follow me on there. And on uh, Instagram, there's stuff that pops out there, so Instagram I think is at Ray Boyd from memory. Uh, I'm fairly active on social media it's not hard to follow just look for this sort of fat skinny body
1: (laughs) all right we'll we'll put all those details up in the show notes as well so ray i'll let you go now but thank you very much for your time it's a pleasure david thank you
0: thank you for listening to the pursuit of life to learn more about how knightswood house can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future visit knightswood.com.au